I don't care if God ever shows me that this is for my good. I get to believe it. It's part of me. It's down in my toes. It's what the Bible says. Don't take that away from me. If, if God takes all, it takes everything, leave me the scriptures and don't let me ever doubt them. When I think about Larry's teaching, I think of freedom. Freedom from trying to do the impossible. Freedom from trying to earn favor with God by doing stuff. Freedom from thinking that following made up rules and traditions is in any way pleasing to God. Freedom to truly rest in the absolute certainty of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Freedom to know that the mountain of law is no hiding place. The truths I've come to know through Larry's teaching have truly changed my life, and I will forever be grateful for them. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons, or if you already are a Christian, be edified and comforted, as so many were during his life. In episode 10, we are again jumping ahead to 2003 to listen to a sermon that Larry preached at New Covenant Bible Church, the church he pastored until he died. He began a series on law and grace. I chose this particular sermon because I was honored to invite Cheryl onto the podcast to talk about her experience attending New Covenant Bible Church and how Larry's teaching on grace in the Christian life completely changed how she lived out her life as a Christian. What are your thoughts about the podcast so far? Email me at thetimelessgospel at gmail.com. Linda wanted me to put a title on these studies because we're tape stuff. And I didn't know what to call it. Like I said, it's never been systematized. I don't know what to call it. But I, I finally decided to call it Law and Grace. Now let me, uh, in beginning with this study, uh, start with a, a long time, uh, spending a long time in, in a Christian's experience. Now I know that this varies, of course. There's no biblical, I'm not, I don't, I'm not doing any textual work here. But I like to just throw out the experience of a Christian in his maturity. This does not happen to all Christians, but it certainly happens to most. And I think that uh, probably for the most part, you'll find yourself somewhere in this experience. We're not talking about an experience of six months or a day. Uh, I was here and then I learned this and now all of a sudden I'm here. Uh, we're talking about 20 years. Uh, some of this will be new to some of you or at least helpful to some of you because you haven't been a Christian that long. And I'm convinced that it takes that long to grasp this stuff. You may know it in your mind right away, but you, you just don't get it. You just don't have it without all the, the failure in your Christian life. That's why I'm so absolutely mature, because I've had such great failure in my life. But let's start out with the new believer. Boy, they're a delight to be around. They don't claim to know anything. They don't claim to do anything. They don't, they don't claim anything. They just love the Lord. They've been saved. They've been forgiven from their sins. And they've been saved. They've been put, where did Daniel go? Into a new horizon. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Okay. Romans 1, 1. They've been put in this new horizon. 
they were in this in the middle of all the horizon of the world and the flesh and the devil and sin and, and putrid and wickedness. And they've been transposed into this center of this new horizon, which is Christ and salvation and forgiveness, righteousness, and all these wonderful things. The church, the Bible, all these wonderful things. And and they're just a delight to be around. They just want to talk about the Lord. They just they just love Christ. They love the Bible. And the Lord allows this. The Lord produces this, really, uh, for for some time, maybe maybe a couple of years, uh, a year and a half, a year, some a great long time. And then all of a sudden, without without any reason whatsoever, it just comes to a stop. And they 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 they've lost their zeal a little bit. Uh, they've learned a few things. They. Uh, it just the Christian life is not what it started out to be. Maybe maybe a, a sin that they thought that they had uh, deliverance from has has retaken over their 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 lives and they're they're into things that they know they shouldn't be doing. Uh, there's a myriad of reasons of means in which these new believers come into an indifference toward the church, toward the scriptures, toward the Lord. They can't put their finger on any particular thing. They eventually, uh, people call it, people think they're in a backslidden condition. They're not in a backslidden condition at all. They're right in the middle of the of the will of God for their lives. They've got to learn. They've got to learn this Christian life is not something I do. And this is their first lesson. Brother John, he goes to uh, to an Armenian. Tells him his problems. I just don't have the the love I, I had. I don't have the the the, the emotion, the zeal. The Bible doesn't do much for me these days. I'm not crazy about church, and I've already had problems with my pastor. And you know, he doesn't he doesn't teach like I thought he did. He he's not a very good teacher. And the Armenian says, "Well, brother John, I've got I've got good news for you. This is not uncommon. You're going through what we've all gone through. And don't get don't get concerned. Don't get upset about it. Everything's going to be fine. But now here's what you've got to do." Think about that time, and, and, and it may be different words, but it, it's more or less all the same system. Uh, but I'm using some things that you probably are familiar with. And we've, we've heard this. Look, remember that last time that you had that closeness and that refreshment from the Lord, that time that you were really enjoying the Christian life. Go back to that time, and then think of the, the sin in your life, that caused you to, to leave that, the habit in your life, or, or whatever it might be, you just search your soul and you find out, and you go back to that place, repent, trust in the fact that your sins are forgiven, and start over and start again, and everything will be fine. And so Brother John does this. It really is helpful. What they don't understand is that they're back on the very same road that led them, led him to all these problems that he's having today in the first place. And and you, you see what I'm saying? He's back right, he's just coming along like he started without learning anything. And it's going to happen again and again and again. And so he keeps going back, repenting, uh, finding where he left the Lord, and, and, and continuing on. And it's just a cycle until the Lord moves him out into some good teaching somewhere, a good teacher, a good book, uh, whatever it may be, 
uh, concerning some truth of the scriptures, uh, he's stuck there. And he may stay there. He may stay there for the rest of his life. Two years old. And that's what the Armenian does for him. But the Calvinist fouls him up a whole lot more. This is the Calvinist counsel. Well, John, look. This is common. This happens to all new Christians. Don't worry about it. Don't fight, fret over it. It's going to be all right. Here's the thing. Now, you were born again, and you were, you were saved, and you were uh, uh, regenerated by the, by the absolute and total grace of God. Amen. But now, John, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the life of God within you. And you have the law of God for your direction. And you must follow that law of God. After all, is not the law holy, blameless, and, and good? Well, if, did not God give the law? Absolutely. Well, then, John, you're going to have to obey the law. But don't fret because now you have the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life to give you the ability to obey the law, God's law, in the New Testament. And so John goes about to, and the Calvinists will tell him, now look, in your flesh, it's, it's, it's lazy, it's sorry, it's corrupt. Uh, it, it is lazy, and it, it doesn't like to work. And, 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 but you, you're just going to have to get through that, John. You're just going to have to get through that and, and improve yourself daily. And what will happen, John, is over a period of years and time, as you apply the law of God in your life, you will find, number one, that it is right, it, it's healthy, it's good, it's good for you, it's safe. It's better to do this than not to do this. It's better to do the law of God than not to do the law of God. And you will find this in your experience. You will find this in, in all these different ways that over a matter of time, the, the law of God will become easier and easier for you to do. And I'm not making up words here, and I'm not building a straw man. You can't build a straw man with Armenianism. Just teach some error, and that's Armenianism. But I'm more careful about teaching uh, concerning a straw man and Calvinism. So I've got some text to read you in a minute. But that's, what, that's their advice. That's the counsel. The, the more you practice the law of God, to, to put the law of God in your, in your life, the better you're going to be and the easier it will become. And so 15 or 20 or 30 years down the line, after being, you'll become a very mature Christian, you'll have the ability to, to, to do the law of God. That's the Calvinist view. Let's just start with the man himself, John Calvin. Now, the thing I like about Calvin and Luther, boy, I like this. They don't beat around the bush. They mean what they say. They believe what they say, and, and, and you, can, you can take them at their word. This is take, taken from Calvin's Institute. Uh, I don't know. I'm not, I, I won't identify it any more than that. Remember the advice that the Calvinist has given to the, the brother John. When mention is made of our union with God, let us remember that that holiness must be, must be the bond. Calvin says, our union with God, let us, with mention is made of our union with God, let us remember that holiness must be the bond. Not that by the, now they're all say the flesh is no good. Calvinists will say the flesh is no good, but you just, you just got to forget about that and just try harder. 
A good friend of mine in this town, terrific fella, said one time in, in the pulpit and meant it, and Calvin would have said the very same thing. Look, do the best you can. Come Sunday night, repent, start Monday morning, all over again. That's what the Calvinist teaches. That's what the Calvinist will have Brother John to do. We ought rather first to cleave to him in order that pervaded, <clears throat> pervaded with his holiness, we may follow, follow whether he calls. But because it greatly concerns his glory not to have any fellowship with wickedness or impurity, wherefore ought ever, there's that word ought, Charles, ought ever to have respect if we would answer the call of God. For to what end were we rescued from the iniquity and pollution of, the, of our whole lives? It makes a lot of sense. After all, didn't you come to Christ because of your wickedness? Then why in the world do you want to continue in it? Makes sense. And, and, and the truth is you won't. The, the, the real truth, not, not the Calvinist error. Which we were plunged if we allow ourselves during our whole lives to wallow in them. Besides, we are at the, at the same time admonished that if we would be regarded as the Lord's people, we must inhabit the holy city of Jerusalem, which as he hath consecrated it to himself, it were imperious for its inhabitants to profane by impurity. Hence the expression, now, now get this. This is John Calvin saying these things. It's unbelievable. Hence the expression, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in the holy hill? Calvin is saying, Walker, the Bible says, who, hence the expression, who shall abide in the tabernacle? Who shall dwell in the holy hill? Like you could do that. There's only one that can do that, can ascend to the holy hill of God, and that's Jesus Christ. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness. Now, is that the way you want your Christian life to, to be guided by? By your walking uprightly and righteous? I don't. I've got to have something better than that. And that's John Calvin. Now, here's the thing about Calvinists. All us good Calvinists. We must thank God. We must be so thankful for the Reformation and the Calvinists who led the Reformation because of their great, great, great teaching on justification by grace alone and how a person can move from justification by grace alone into Christian living by obedience, I'll never know. I'll never know. But he did. It's the same, Charles. It's the exact same. There's a Presbyterian church in Norman uh, that asked me to come down, Linda and I, to come down and, and visit with them and be with them and try to help them get started. Not that I was going to be anybody, just that, 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 that they knew Mike Horton and they thought, figured that Larry Horton might be all right. So they called me and they found out that, yeah, I was a Christian. So they thought I'd come down and help them in their church. This was while we were here. I just started here. But it, it wasn't for me to take over. Or like just to come down and kind of be of be some help to them as they draw up their, their whatever. And the first night there, I kept my mouth shut. And there was all kinds of bad stuff going on. And this one guy said, well, there's Larry Horton. This is Mike Horton's brother. I want to hear what he's got to say. And I said, well, folks, you cuss out the Catholics for proclaiming an infused righteousness. And you guys are doing the same thing right here with an infused sanctification. 
and then I was asked not to ever come back. Well, infused righteousness of the of the, of the, the Roman Catholics and most Armenians, whether they know it or not, believe it, is, and we're going to see this. Uh, we're going to see this more and more as we go along this hour. Uh, an, infu an infused infused righteousness uh, or goodness, let's call it, because we're no one, none of us would go as far as to say that we're righteous. But this infused goodness is that we have the ability that it's something put within us that God in His grace has put something within us to make us more like Christ, to make us more righteous. It's a it's a real thing. It, it, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the new life. There is no, in the Catholic view is there is not an imputed righteousness. That is that there's no make-believe with God and that, that God just says, Larry is righteous based on the work of the, uh, uh, the, the work of Christ. We know that God can say that. But the Catholics say, no, that's not true. You must be. Yeah, you're saved by faith, and faith has something to do with it, but you must have some goodness within you. You must be having works. You must be doing better. There's something within me that makes me a better person. That's what the Catholic would say. That's what the Calvinist would say. And where, where does, where does the, the righteous man by faith shall live? Where does that come in? It's not by faith at all. It's by my goodness that I grow and mature. Not in salvation. Not the Calvinist wouldn't. Calvinists wouldn't do that. The Calvinists would not, never do that. He he believes in his toes that that we're that we're righteous, uh, that we've been uh, uh, imputed righteous by God through the merit of Jesus Christ, and not one thing of our own. But but that said, the next day when you wake up, now you are to begin a life of infused righteousness. Doesn't have to do with your salvation; it has to do with your Christian growth. And you have the ability now, you have the ability now because of the Holy Spirit, the new life that you have, to follow God's law and to perform it. Now, you won't do it perfectly. The, the, the flesh is bad, but you can learn. You can learn to do it better and better and better. So after 20 or 30 years, you really are, you really do have some, some righteousness, some godliness, some holiness of your own. Uh, and and I don't, I'm not concerned about what God the, the error here is not in, in that it's wrong because God declares us righteous. The, the thing that upsets me and has concerned me and what, what I want to com communicate here is that that can only lead to death because nowhere in Scripture does it say that the law gives life. Nowhere. But it does say that the law is administration of death. It's just amazing. And, and, and they don't have, they, the Calvinist doesn't have uh, uh, wrong ulterior motives. He's not some con guy out there trying to build a church or something. He's just teaching what he believes to be the truth. Yes. Not, not, not in any kind of, not in any kind of, uh, bless, uh, you are growing as a Christian. That's how you grow as a Christian is what the Calvinist says. We're not saying that God's going to bless you more uh, because you obey more than, than Linda. I'm not, they, they don't go that, they don't say that. But what they do say is that you, you're going to grow and mature as a Christian. You have the, the ability within you to do the law of God. And if you have, don't have the perfect ability, that's okay. Do it the best you can. I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm not through with my quotes. That's, that's absolute the right wording. But the teaching that I'm going to try to communicate is, is totally 100% foreign to any of that. 
I'm not, I'm not saying that we have some kind of uh, standing before God because of our good works. No. Calvinists would never say that. But what, would, what a Calvinist does say is that you grow and mature as a Christian by obedience to the law of God. But does the Holy Spirit work apart from his word, as for, not in salvation, but as far as in, in the Christian life, is he going to give you something that he hasn't, that, that's not taught in, his, in, in the scriptures? Where I'm going with this study is, is, is knowing. You come up in Charles's Bible study Thursday. In order for a man, for a person to have faith, he must know something. God doesn't just, just zap us in our Christian life. We must have knowledge, and we must have doctrine. And this knowledge and doctrine is in a whole different realm than works, fruit, infused righteousness, or anything else. It has to do with believing some things. It, our, our, foundation, our foundation is based on our position. Not, on, not on, on our Christian lives is based on the foundation of position and not on the law of God. Or the obedience to it. Now the next day, when you start walking, when you go to work Monday after becoming a Christian with imputed righteousness today, what are the rules? What is how do we go about living the Christian life? That's what I'm trying to going to try to communicate over these next few months. It has nothing, and I'm going to come back to this and back to this and back to this. It has absolutely nothing to do with the obedience to the law of God. The law brings death. The law brings death. The law brings death. Christ brings life. We'll get to there. We'll get there. I'm not saying go out and disobey the law. You know, that's crazy. It's like Spurgeon said, I don't mind being called an uh, uh, antinomian. I'm just glad I'm not one. We'll find, you'll see that I'm not one. But also I'll say with all that's within me that my Christian life, my maturity, my growth as a Christian is not in any way, shape, or form have anything whatsoever to do with the obedience of the holy law of God. I want to get to these Calvinists, uh, but I'm, I also want to show you where I'm going here, and I think I'll have time. And this is not going to be a preaching time. Just going to be a time like we're having. Just to, I hope it's, it'll work. I hope, uh, Charles gets away with it. I hope I can. Just uh, just trying to communicate some truth. However, we can do it. While the greater number are so opposed with weakness that hesitating and halting and even crawling on the ground, they make little progress. He, I was going to read up here. I don't have time. Talking about boy, when you don't do good, when you don't obey the law very well, just keep on. Even if, you, even if you have hesitation, even if you're crawling on the ground, just keep it up. Make little progress. Let every one of us go as far as, as his humble ability enables him. And prosecute the journey once begun. No one will travel so badly as not daily to make some degree of progress. Now, can you amen that? Are, you so, are we so ignorant? of our own selves and so hypocritical of our own selves that we can say with all confidence that yes, every day I make some progress in the way of the Lord. And let us not despair because of the slender measure of success. My, we're, going to sh we're, we're not going for success in my studies. We're going for failure. And we're not going to be going for, to, look, to look, look, look up. 
we're going to be looking down. We're going to see God looking down at us. We're not going to be looking up to Christ. I mean, eventually. But you, you see the differences here between Calvin and whatever, like I said, hasn't been systematized yet. I don't know what to call it. These are the subjects he's going to deal with in his chapters. And, 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 and uh, Christians should not despair, though they have not attained perfection, provided they make daily progress in piety and righteousness. This is John Calvin speaking. Christians should not despair, though they have not attained perfection, provided they make daily progress in piety and righteousness. So if you're not perfect, don't despair. It's okay. What Johnson, Mr. Calvin said. Uh, as long as you're making some daily progress, are you better today than you were yesterday? If you are, then that's okay. That's good. That's Christian growth. And that's just error. And we're going to see it. We're going to see this error. This is taken from a book I read 30 years ago. Changed my life then. I think it's getting changed my life again. If you guys will get this book, then the, the, the worst thing that can happen is you can find out how easy it is for me to get up here and, and communicate. Because you just take the outlines and do a little, you know, finagling and, and you're there. And you can learn how to be a preacher, just, you know. But I, I strongly suggest you get this book. It's one of the book. This man's not a pastor. He's not a theologian. He's just a guy. Just a guy who knows the Bible. It's uh, called The Green Letters by Miles Stanford. In it, he says this. Most of the depressing law burden placed on believers emanates from Calvinism. And it's covenant theology. Many are unaware of the legalistic aspect of this teaching since its tenets are well known for providing the Christian with the solid scriptural foundation of justification and eternal security. And amen, they have. They have. But because of that, don't let us now consider some of the, let us now cons consider some of the aspects of this theology as it affects those who long to grow in Christ. Then, then he, he quotes some Calvinists. The first Calvinist he quotes is Arthur Pink. Now, how good is that? Here's what Pink says. Is the disciple to be above his master? The servant superior to his Lord. Christ is made, was made under, the, this is his reasoning. Christ was made under the law. Well, that's certainly true, isn't it? Christ was made under the law and lived in perfect submission thereunto and has left us as an example that we should follow his steps. That we're, 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 what would Jesus do? That we're to follow in his steps? Maybe that book came from Pink, uh, the, the title, In His Steps. Only by loving, fearing, and obeying the law shall we be kept from sinning. Well, you guys have experienced that. You, you've been places where they tried to put you under the law. Uh, did you find that through your experience? The more you obeyed, obeyed God, the less you sinned. The more you obeyed the law, the less you sinned. It's, it's the law that causes sin. I mean, we, we'll see that even. Not totally. There, there's, you have to put it in context, but, but it's there. Deplorable yielding of temptation. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, that's the way it is with most Christians, but it doesn't have to be that way. Often he is made to cry, O wretched man that I am. Such has been for upwards of 25 years the experience of the writer. Pink experienced this for 25 years. Jonathan experienced 
Jonathan Edwards experienced it his whole life. Jonathan Edwards' future son-in-law, uh, a missionary to the Indians of New York, uh, died over it. Just wore himself out over this, this whole area of, of not knowing and believing and understanding Romans chapter 6. J.C. Ryle. Genuine sanctification will show itself in habitual respect for God's law and habitual effort to live in obedience to it as a rule of life. Why, why, do, we, why do we enjoy ourselves here in this place? There, there are Reformed Baptist churches all over town, and they're going to put you right here. There are Presbyterian churches. There are other churches, independent churches, who are Reformed, who will put you right here. We'll talk about election, sovereignty of God, grace of God in, in salvation. Amen. We don't need this church. We can go to their church. But we've got some things going on here that they don't have because they're following these men, not men. They, they follow this, this thinking, and it's so natural. Well, I'm a Christian now. I'm going to obey God's law. And we're going to look at that real close. Genuine sanctification will show us uh, its habitual respect for God's law and habitual effort to live in obedience to it as a rule of life. There is no greater mistake than to suppose that a Christian has nothing to do with the law and the Ten Commandments because he cannot be justified by keeping them. The same Holy Spirit, we've talked about this, the same Holy Spirit who convinces the believer of sin <clears throat> by the law and leads him to Christ for justification will always lead him to a spiritual use of the law in the pursuit of sanctification. This is the first quote from a, from a man who's trying, we'll, we'll, we'll call it the uh, identification truth. It's a man who, who has something to say about these things I'm going to try to, be, to present. Every believer in regard by God as alive from the dead to bring forth fruit, not works, unto God. The law only deals with a man as long as he lives. Isn't that right? Never after he's dead. For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And that is not at all what is said of us after the second blessing or any other step of imaginary perfection. We begin with it. I'm identified with Christ dead. dead I'm identified with Christ dead and risen. It is no longer the law dealing with me to try, to try if it can get any good out of me. I relinquished all by receiving the Lord Jesus. I and I take my stand in him dead and risen again. As I've said, this will be the 1,312th time Christianity starts with the resurrection. As one alive from the dead to yield myself to God. No, reckon, yield. Romans 6, verse 11 verses. No, reckon, yield. No, reckon, yield. No, reckon, yield. That is the key. That is the secret of the Christian life. The gospel, the gospel supposes that good and holy and perfect as the law of God is, it is entirely powerless either to justify or sanctify. It can, cannot in any way make the old nature better. That's not the goal of God in your life, to make you a better person. If it were, you'd be full of pride. There's, there's a different goal. Reading on, some good men who are, who in grievous error would impose the law as a rule of life. For the, didn't we just read that with, with uh, uh, Calvin? The law is a rule of life. Rule of life for a Christian man, with a Christian, mean very well by, 
by it, but the whole principle is false because the law, instead of being a rule of life, is necessarily a rule of death. To one who has sin in his nature, far from delivering power, it can only condemn. Such far from being the means of holiness, it is in fact the strength of sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Now, let's read what Mr. Cyrus Ingersoll Scopical has got to say. Got the best name that ever was. Most of us have been re reared and now live under the influence of Galatianism. Protestant theology is for the most part thoroughly Galatianized in that neither the law nor grace is given its, dis its distinct and separate place as in the councils of God, but they are mingled together in one incoherent system. That's so true. That is so very true. The law is no longer as in the divine intent administration of death because we are taught that we must try to keep it and that by divine help we may. Nor does grace, on the other hand, bring us blessed deliverance from the dominion of sin, for we are kept under the law as a rule of life despite the plain teachings of Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. How sad to realize that while Calvinism so effectively refutes Arminianism, and this fellow that's writing this is a Calvinist, five-pointer, <clears throat> how sad to, re to realize that while Calvinism is effectively refutes Arminianism in the real realm of justification, its covenant theology fails the believer in the realm of sanctification just as badly as does Arminianism. And that's just so true. We've been saying that for, for, for years now. You want to you find out about grace of God and salvation? Go find a Calvinist. Boy, he will tell you. If you want to find out about how the Christian life works, stay away from it. <laughs> Let's turn to, to uh, John chapter 12. This is such a very important verse. Verse 20, let's say. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at his at feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Men want to see Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to see them. He's too busy. What's he too busy doing? Verse 23, but Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, what does that mean? What did he mean by that? What was he talking about? Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Is that not, don't we know that for absolutely for sure? That that's what he's talking about? Okay. Verse 24. Mark this down. Circle it, underline it, capitalize it. <clears throat> Verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls unto the ground and dies, it remains alone. Alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. That is the natural law of God. Everything works this way. Pete and Charles got into discussion Thursday at, part, at Charles's Bible study, and herein is where the, their differences was. Pete was, was trying to communicate, well, the disciples are stupid. They're dumb, they're stupid, and they were. They didn't know much. Uh, they, you know, they didn't know anything. Well, that's not, and in Charles's view, what position was, well, yeah, they were. They were believers, and he, he took us to the Scriptures to show 
that they were believers. Of course they were. But the difference is they weren't in Christ. They were alone because he was alone. There is no identification with Christ because he hadn't died yet. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abideth alone. John was not in Christ. Job is in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. It, it, the hour has come for me to be glorified. I don't have time to talk to these people. I'm thinking about, about this, this redemption that I'm about to perform. But I've got to do it because there's no salvation in a, in a dead man. There's no salvation in a living man before death. Just look at night. There's no life. There's no life in this universe in this universe without death coming first. Jesus must die in order to bring about life. And so the life now, Romans 8:29 says that we for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. The Calvinists will tell you that to be in the image of Christ is to do the works of Christ, to walk in his steps. But the image of Christ that we're after is our, is our foundation is in his resurrection. It's not in his life before he died. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. That's the way of God. That's the way of creation is that you, 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 the, the grass dies and, br and brings about more grass after its kind. Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, the herbs, the yields, yield seeds according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Uh, verse 21, So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that moves, uh, with which the waters abounded according to their kind. Everything on earth reproduces after its kind. Everything in the sea reproduces after its kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. Everything in the air, the land, sea, and air, everything produces after its kind. And God blessed them. In verse 24, then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind. And everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. That's just the way God operates. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. And the first verse of the New Testament it's when Mary comes to the grave of Jesus. And the angel says, Why are you looking for the dead among the living? Jesus Christ went to the grave and died. Went to the cross and died. Was buried. But he didn't stay buried. He was raised in newness of life. And now the foundation, the foundation for all Christian experience is he's going to bring forth fruit after his own kind. And that's how I am in the image of God. And that's how I'm going to grow and grow and grow and grow. Not in obeying the law. Not in going back to where I first got away from it. Not all the, 
it's, it's an identification truth of the fact that I, Jesus Christ, in, in, is a, as, a, as a risen entity, is my foundation. It is the foundation for all of my Christian growth. I'm not, we're not concerned here about salvation. But he was brought forth in resurrection, and that's where my foundation, and that's where my start's going to start, right there. And then we're going to, we're going to go from there, uh, uh, step by step by step by step, starting with the fact that I, I, have, I am brought forth after Jesus Christ's own kind. And as I know this, as I know this, as I learn this, and I know it, and I have, I have faith that we're going to use the word reckon, that I reckon this to be true, is the very beginning of my Christian life. Not, not the end. It's just the very beginning. If the word's got reformed in it, it tells you right away that you, you, they, they understand the five points of Calvinism, but it also tells me that they, they got all, they're all fouled up in our Christian walk. Obey the law best you can. Ask forgiveness on Sunday night and start all over again on Monday morning. But listen to these words. In his classic Romans, verse by verse, William R. Newell presents some penetrating thoughts regarding this grace. And these are quotes from Newell. There being no cause in the creature why grace should be shown, the creature must be bought off from trying to give God, to give cause to God for his care. He has been accepted in Christ, who is his standing. We'll, we'll look at that. He is not on probation. As to his life past, it does not exist before God. He died at the cross. And Christ is his life. Literally. Grace, once bestowed, is not withdrawn. For God knew all the human uh, sinfulness beforehand. His action was independent of them, not dependent upon them. To believe and to consent to be loved, while unworthy, is the great secret. To refuse to make resolutions or vows, for that is to trust in the flesh. Calvin says, get better every day. This man says, to even pray that prayer is to trust in the flesh. To expect to be blessed, though realizing more and more lack of worth. And that is the spiral of the Christian life. It's not going up, it's going down. <clears throat> the Bible does not teach that you are to be disgusted with your sins. The Bible teaches that you are to be disgusted with yourself. To expect to be blessed, though realizing more and more lack of worth. To rely on God's chastening, child-training hand as a mark of His kindness. To hope to be better, hence acceptable, is to fail to see yourself in Christ only. To be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. To be discouraged is unbelief as to God's purpose and plan of blessing for you. To be proud is to be blind. For we have no, we have no standing before God in ourselves. Calvin says, we must have, if you're going to have union with God, you must be holy. This man says that you have no standing before God in yourself. Sinner or saint makes no difference. You have no standing, he says. The lack of divine blessing, therefore, therefore, comes from unbelief and not from failure of devotion. Now we're back to the Armenian way of just, you know, just, it's not, it's not just get, get tough and obey the law. It's get tough and love the Lord. But if you have any, if there's any system, if there is any 
buttons to push. You're 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 not going to push the right buttons. You're going to quit pushing the buttons. You're going to fail, and then you're going to get wore out. Although the Calvinist doesn't seem to get wore out, he just keeps on obeying the law, trying, trying, trying. But the Armenian does. They they get tired. I'm not sure why that is. To preach devotion first and blessing second is to to reverse God's order. To preach law, not grace. And I don't know where I came up with this definition. I've, I've enjoyed it and used it for many years. I'm going to stand by it, and it makes everybody mad when I tell them this. But I may have gotten it from that that I just read. I'm not sure where I got it from but I'm, because I can't believe I came up with it on my own. But I may have got it from that sentence right there. To preach devotion first and blessing second is to reverse God's order and preach law, not grace. What is the de- And this is my definition, so you don't have to believe it. What is the definition of being under law? Three words. God blesses obedience. That is to be under the law because that's just so contrary. And no one would think that. No one would think that in salvation. You don't know anyone that would teach that in salvation. But the minute, the minute we become Christians... Uh, here comes, here come, be obedient, be obedient, try harder, jump higher, run faster. And another thing I, I like to say, Christ died for believers too. To preach devotion first and blessing second is to reverse God's order and preach law, not grace. The law made man's blessings depend on devotion. Grace confers undeserved, unconditional blessing. Our devotion may follow, but does not always do so in proper measure. There's, there's no system in the Christian life. Now, we, we've learned and learned and know and know that we're, we're, we're the, the righteous man by faith shall live, and that the Christian should live by faith. And so we're going to look at that today uh, concerning what faith in what? Faith in what? Faith in the fact that Christ died for our sins? Uh, is there not such thing as Christian growth? Does not the Bible teach that there are, young, that there are babes and young men and old men and fathers? Well, I knew that the first day I was Christian. Christ died for my sins. So what is it? What is this faith that I am to exercise? So let's turn to Deuteronomy. Chapter 18, verse 15. Walker, did you bring your New American Standard this morning? Good. A little late in the second hour, we'll need it. Are we there? Because I'd like for all of us to see this. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Who's talking? Moses. From your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Who is that talking about? I don't believe there's any. I don't believe there's any question in any any uh, teacher's Christian teacher's mind. I don't think there's any uh, objection to the fact that that's talking about Christ. That God's going to raise up another prophet like Moses, and him you will hear. Verse 16. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in in Hurup. In the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire any more, lest I die. Verse 17, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Whether it's true or not, the whole church agrees, the whole wide world church agrees that this is talking about Jesus Christ. So that's going to be my 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 view. 
what kind of change did God bring about in the world or in his in his in his uh, ministry to 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 people from the day of Moses to the day before Jesus was born anything that we know that took place that changed everything no no difference all right now what took place between the time of Moses and the day Jesus was born except for Jesus being born nothing what took place between the time of, of, of Moses and the time of Jesus' first days of ministry? Nothing. What took place from, from the time of Moses all the way through to the end, toward the end of Jesus' ministry? Nothing. There were a lot of miracles. There were a lot of miracles in Moses' day. There was no change. So Jesus, according to Deuteronomy, was the last this is so important, was the last Old Testament prophet. There was no difference whatsoever in the time of Christ as he walked in the flesh here on this earth and the time of Moses when he walked on this earth. It was all the same. Let's turn back to our, our key verse that we, we, we looked at last week that I want to bring about again this morning. Uh, John chapter 12. But if you if you turn to Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, don't do it. But if you turn to Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, and then you turn over the page back to the left, you'll see it says in your Bible, the New Testament. And that, that's just really a shame. I wish we had, I wish they had broken the Bible up into three parts. Uh, the Old Testament, the life, and times of Christ, the life, times, and works of Christ, and then the New Testament. But we didn't do that. But there's no change. Jesus could have came. And, and said what he said, did what he did, 50 years after Moses died or when he came. I mean, there's no, there's no change in the way God dealt with, with anybody. Uh, I, I think we'll see the change. I think, we, I think we're going to see a change here in a minute. Uh, but my, my big point is that Christ, that Jesus Christ was the last Old Testament prophet and, and must, we must understand his words as we would understand the words of Isaiah, the words of Jeremiah, there is a commentary on the words of Jesus, on the teachings of Jesus. Everything he said was absolutely, of course, 100% true. But now Paul, and, and, and afterwards, as, as I hope we'll get to, golly, that time slips away. Uh, we, we, we must put more, uh, we must look at the commentary of Jesus's words. I'm going to prove that in a minute. The commentary of Jesus' words written by Paul and Peter and John after uh, the Holy Spirit, after this change that we're looking for, uh, becomes more, more important to us uh, than the, the actual words of Jesus when he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Here's one of the reasons why. John chapter uh, 12, verse 24. Let's go back to verse 23. We read this last week. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He's talking about his, his uh, going to the cross. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And that's the way uh, life works. That's the way 
that's the way uh, farming works. You, you put the piece of corn in the ground, it's a dead piece of corn, but somehow or other it comes out life and it produces, like, after its own kind, many, many, much, much, much fruit. The point here is that Christ is abiding alone. He is alone. There is no difference between Jesus Christ and Peter at this time in history than there would have been between Moses and Aaron. I can't even use me and Walker as an example because I, it's totally changed. Walker and I have a totally different union than Jesus and Peter did. You had the man Jesus abiding alone, just, just himself. And then you had everyone else abiding alone, just themselves. There was no union. So whenever we're to be united with Christ, we're not talking about the being united with Jesus Christ, the man who walked on this earth uh, for uh, uh, in the flesh. It's got to be something altogether different because Jesus himself said that unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But there, to look at this enormous great change that took place in the history of the world in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, verse 47, some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling on Elijah. This is where Christ cries down from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and, yield, and yielded up his spirit. He died. Verse 51, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. For 2,000 years, and we have, we have documentation of this in the Old Testament, Eli's boys, I believe it was Eli, they were just playing around. They were just playing around in the temple. They, they weren't being mean, they just being kids. And, they, and they, they offered some kind of strange fire, if you'll remember that, and God kills them instantly. There's been other, other instances we could go to, we're not going to, but we can go see. That was, a, that was the most holy place, was this holy of holies inside the veil. No one could go in there except the high priest once a year. And then we, hear, we, we read all these different commentaries, commentators on how, how the priest dressed as far as his shoelaces or he had a rope. You know, he had long shoelaces, so if he died in there, how would you go get him? Because it was so holy. If you went in there and you weren't the high priest, you'd die too. And, and they had long shoelaces maybe or ropes where if the, if, the, if the priest died, you could pull him out because the priest, there's a good chance that the priest would die if he didn't do everything exactly the way he was instructed. This is a most holy place. Now, Jesus dies on the cross and, and now the veil is rent from top to bottom and, and I hope this isn't too crude, but I, I say it for effect. A hog farmer could run a herd of hogs through there and God would not have done one thing. Not one thing. There's a change. Absolute change. This is concerning the ceremonial law, I know, but just look at the change. Uh, let's turn to, John, uh, to Matthew chapter 6 for a moment. In this manner, therefore, pray. The Lord is instructing His disciples to pray on how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us, us our debtors as we forgive our forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus said this now. Number one, I'm not going to try to be dogmatic about this, but it would seem to me that he's having us pray, having his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and then he brings in his the forgiveness, the forgiveness, forgive us. I kind of think he's talking about on a daily basis. But now I might be wrong about that. I might be wrong about that. But one thing I'm not wrong about is that he prays, he, te- he instructs his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts. What is the condition for our debts to be forgiven? As we forgive our debtors. Now, now, now all this is is just absolutely true. <laughs> okay? We're not, we're not criticizing the words of Jesus. We're talking about the time in which he lived. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Has there been a change? Absolutely, there's been a change. Uh, the last words in Ephesians chapter 4. I do not want to be forgiven on the basis of how I forgive you. That won't do. But Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse four, verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I can live with that. There's so many of these imperatives, there's so many of these instructions that, that we, we hear in the, in the New Testament, but they always seem to be either before or after or surrounded by these positional truths, these, these identification truths. It says, it doesn't say be kind to one another uh, or God's going to get you. Be kind to one another or you will not be accepted with God. It says be kind to one another. What's your motivation? For you to be kind to one another. It's your posi- what is your motivation for being kind to one another in your condition? It is the truth of your position. Just as God has forgiven, give, has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Let's turn to John 16. And I'm going to read John 16 and John 17 and we'll, and we'll close. Uh, verse 1, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he's doing God a service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Peter, this isn't going to do you a lot of good right now, but there's going to come a time when you're going to remember these words and they're going to mean a whole lot to you. You see that? Jesus is making a distinction between his time now and his time later. Let's go to verse 5. Yeah, verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. That's naturally true. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. There's going to be uh, something else coming, Jesus says. That's even better than my presence with you. Why would that be? Because unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abideth alone. 
And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. Sin, uh, uh, when he comes. Now, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit is going to come after this great change that we just saw in the rending of the veil in, in, in going to, going to uh, guide the disciples into all truth. John 17. After teaching thorough, thoroughly in chapter 14, 15, and 16, now he says in verse 1 of chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me, whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I come forth from you, and that they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine and are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Up until this time, they were not one. They were not one with Christ. They were not one with each other. You and I, we're one with Christ and we're one with one another because this prayer was answered. But up until this time, Jesus says they were not one. Why? Unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die by the law. Let's look at verse 20. I do not pray for those alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now that's me and you. I'm not praying just for my disciples. I'm praying for all those who will hear all those who will believe because of what my disciples say, teach. And this is what this is what our Lord prays, that they all may be, verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe you have sent me. Verse 24, uh, verse, verse 26, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. If Jesus is praying that now, it must not be true when he prayed it. Would you, does, that, does not that make sense? He's praying that it will be true. He's praying that it will come to pass. Just a few hours after he prayed these prayer, this prayer. So you see, the, the whole economy of God and man is based on a whole different set of principles, if you will, than today in mine and your life here this morning. And that's the point I'm trying to make. And now we're going to go from there into what is the, the principle, the economy that we have this morning. 
It's totally different. I'm not being I'm not criticizing Jesus, but it's totally different than when Jesus walked on this earth. That's my whole point. If you wanted to analyze, he 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 developed it better and more, and gave us more understanding. But but he did not contradict in any way anything that Moses ever said, anything that Jeremiah and Isaiah ever said. There is a we're not being critical. We're trying to be studious. That there is a difference between the four Gospels and the epistles. Now we can find the truths that we're going to present uh, in in First, Second, Third John, in First Peter. Uh, no problem. Believe me, there's no problem. We're not going to just, it's not just Paul. Uh, but there is a difference between the teachings and, and, and our relationship and our position uh, before God this morning than Peter, James, and John's position before Christ died. I'm in Christ. You are in Christ. And that's not, that is not in Jesus, the last Old Testament prophet that walked in the flesh on this earth. It is in the resurrected Lord. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I was nervous to do it, but... I'm so glad you said yes. I know this is... you Being nervous but it does make it a little bit more of a sacrifice. <laughs> you really love me. <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, Cheryl come, goes to our church and she sat under Larry's preaching. And she is the voice that you're going to hear in this episode, or that you already heard if you've already listened to the sermon. She's the voice immediately after Larry at the very beginning of the episode in the intro. She's the one who recorded that little testimonial. And then, so she was gracious enough to do that for me. So I got her to say yes to that. <laughs> and that opened the door for me to ask again. But really what, what sealed the deal for me, like I wanted you to come on was because a few months ago, Joy, my sister, who was on episode one of the podcast, and you and I were having breakfast, as we commonly do, and uh, I was telling you, both of you, about a new, a new sermon that I had just discovered, and I was going to be putting it up, and, and it will be in a future episode of, of the podcast. And then you said, the reason why I mourned Larry's death so much is because he was the first person to love me unconditionally. Yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Man. And and I know that people in my life that would hear that would that would break their heart. But he really was. Mm. And there was never um if you act a certain way, mm -hmm. then I love you. He knew my flaws and my sins. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like that was hidden from him. But that didn't keep him from loving me. And I saw him do that with you guys. Mm. I had just never seen that before, ever. Wow. It was always um, conditional. Mm. Um, well, we may love you the same, but we don't like you as much if you act a certain way. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, it was. he was the first person I'd ever met that ever, ever modeled that. Do you think that was the impetus to have you switch the church that you were attending? Um, really, the reason we started coming is because, you know, Josh and Kirsten, mm -hmm. my daughter and your son, were, were dating at the time. She was young. She was just, I think, 16 when she said, I really want to go to church with, with Josh. And um, 
I knew a little bit about what y'all believe just because y'all, I don't remember having a conversation with you guys, but I know, I knew that you believed the doctrines of grace. And so I'm like, they're not going to be too terrible. Quackadoos. They're not, you know, <laughs> swinging snakes around on Sunday or something. But I didn't want to send my 16-year-old daughter off to do a church that I had never heard anything. And um, so that's when we started coming. And I knew a little bit about it, but I thought, okay, this grace thing, I, I can't, you know, the grace in the Christian life, I, I see it. Mm -hmm. But they're like, they're they're just cherry picking. They're just having to go through the Bible and cherry pick. And, and at some point that's going to get old. Like, how are they going to, you know, that was my, my initial thought. And um, I don't remember what chapter Larry was teaching in whenever we got there, but it was just so clearly he was just going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And the fact that it was, that grace was throughout the Bible. That's what I, we had been looking for a place to come. And that was, that was the deal. It's just like, it's, they're not just having to use the same verses over and over. It's the fact that it is just completely throughout, throughout the Bible. And it's, it's more obvious in the new, in the epistles. But it's throughout the Bible, if you understand what the epistles are saying, what Paul is teaching, then you can see in the rest. And I did forget to mention, I'm, I'm going to mention this. So uh, you are a sister in Christ, and that's my favorite title for you. However, um, I wish there was another title because our kids are married to each other. So when I tell people that, I would like to have one word like sister, but you're not my sister, but... Your son, your daughter is married to my son. Yes. And yeah. we share the world's best grandkid. We do. The absolute <laughs> best. <laughs> We're not prideful at all. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then we, we really met each other through homeschooling. Yeah. And then um, was delighted that to see you come over to our church. And, you know, we, Dave and I had a period in our life where we were not going to dad's church. And part of it had to do with moving out of state. But then when we came back, we were all fancy. We were going to a Presbyterian church. So we thought, well, let's look for a Presbyterian church. You know, and, and we did. That was good. Um, but I tell you what, you get away from grace in the Christian life. Uh, when you come back to it, it it's like you probably, not as big as your, your experience, but is a, such a breath of fresh air. Yes. And I remember thinking, how is it that I forgot all this? Like, how could I forget all of this? It's because it's so easy to forget. Yeah. It's a, it's a, my family is sick of me saying it, but I mean it. I'm going to get a tattoo of some sort that reminds me because it's so easy to forget. By, by nature, I'm a rule follower. Yeah. I want to follow the rules. And whenever you grow up someplace telling you, if you, okay, well, God saved you, mm -hmm. but get busy. Mm. being a better Christian, mm -hmm. I was, as a new Christian, I was like, okay, I can do that. That's a rule. Mm. I'm, I'm a firstborn. I'm a roof follower. I can do that. And so you start quote unquote doing that. Mm. And then very quickly realizing, oh wait, I can't. So I doubted my salvation for years, years and years. Oh, because no. Oh, that's terrible. Because I thought that's the, you know, you, God saved me, but now it's it's my job to to get better mm -hmm. at this, to be this better Christian. And I'm failing at this. Mm -hmm. And and I don't fail at following rules. I, I, if you give me a rule, I can do it. And I'm failing miserably at mm -hmm. this. And so 
I would go through long periods of time where I would just say, I must not be saved because I can't do this. Wow. Because I was looking at what I was doing. Right. Of course I was failing. <laughs> I uh, wanted to to follow these rules and then I realized I couldn't. So I would, I would doubt my salvation. And then I, it, it would just, it, it really took the joy out of scripture. It took the joy out of going to church because to go to church was to just be given this list of things to do and ways I was failing again. Mm. And so, you know, to, and at some point um, in this sermon, Larry quotes Spurgeon, who quotes a uh, psalm. Was it the holy place? The yes, mountain? who can be found in the holy place and them that walketh rightly or rightly. Yes. And and I remember that scripture being used as a... A comparison? The as, standard? As, as a weapon, really. Oh. As as a, as people seeing, seeing me and seeing sin in my life or seeing ways that they didn't think I was doing what I should and so then they would use that verse and um verses like it and and then that's to my shame that it made me dislike scripture a lot and not want to hear more about scripture not hear going to church was just a chore the mm -hmm. thing you did cuz you were supposed to do it there was no joy there after i left the church that i went to we went to a a, a big big church in norman and I left there the first day crying. And my husband was like, why are you crying? And I was like, I did not know you could be a Christian and be that happy. Oh, There's, man. I don't know, 600 people in there. And we met 20 of them, whatever. But I was like, they're so happy. Mm -hmm. And I, that was just, I was 40 years old. Probably not quite that. but And I just, that was a brand new experience for me. Joyful Christians. Yeah, well, Dad said in the, I think it was this one, Christ died for sinners too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've just been thinking about this so much, these sermons, listening to them again. The, the law does not become less of the law for the Christian to follow. The only thing that happens is Christ is your mediator. That's all... God, the holiness of God and the law of God, it does not become less in order that the Christian in his, in his trying his best with the Holy Spirit so that the, the Christian can get better and better at, at the law. It's only that Christ is, happens to be in there. It, you know, um, he's in between and, he, and that's where we're resting. We're resting. Yes. The, res the resurrected Christ in that sermon, uh, I am so glad that um, Larry spent so much time talking about unless a grain of wheat fall, dies, he, it abides alone. The life that we have in Christ, and you're, you discovered this. I mean, it wasn't just a, th a theology for you, right? The life that you had was once you learned that your your identity really is in the resurrected Christ, not the Christ, the Jesus that walked with the disciples on the earth. Yes. It's not about trying to follow his earthly example of being perfect. Mm -hmm. Right. How can somebody who's perfect be more perfect? Right. And it leads to hypocrisy. It makes you obnoxious. It really does. It leads to this... 
in the moments when you feel like I'm following these rules better than somebody else, mm -hmm. then you look down on other people like, how, how, how are you not, you know? And then in the other moments when you're, when you realize who you really are, mm -hmm. then, then it leads to doubt because it's all about that, that way of thinking is all about me. It takes the glory away from Christ and it makes all of the, the concentrated effort of thinking is on me. What did I do today? What mm -hmm. did I not do today? As Laurie would call it, navel gazing, mm -hmm. just looking at myself constantly. It makes you hypocritical and it's this constant in, in the, I say, you know, air quotes, good. Whenever you're being good about it, it's, you think I'm doing this to bring glory to God, mm -hmm. even though it can't and it doesn't. But in, in the moments, that's your motivation to bring glory to God. And then other, then it becomes a point you're like, I don't even care if it's bringing glory to God. I just want to get a little bit better. So these church people will oh. leave me alone. Oh man. Isn't that awful? Mm. But that's what trying to follow the rules does. At some point, you're like, you try and you try and you're so tired of failing oh. that you're just like, okay, if God accidentally gets some glory out of this, I guess that's okay. But really, my motivation is just so these people will just stop harassing me. Are you comfortable sharing some examples? Um, Those are always hard for me to remember. I think basically because I've tried to forget. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's... It was always silly stuff. I, mm -hmm. I remember I have, whenever I'm thinking, concentrating, I don't have a very, I don't walk around with a smile on my face. I tend to frown a lot. Mm -hmm. It's just not, I'm not trying to be ugly or hateful. I'm just thinking, concentrating. And I would get in trouble at church for my countenance. Oh. My countenance was wrong. I know some of the, you know, the, the church that I was in where I did feel the most under the law and it's it's really hard to you know to say things like this because these people are lovely. Yes, and I loved them. Yes, um, but it was church attendance. Yes, was a big deal. Oh yes, yeah. There was I remember there was a, there at one point there was a a, um, a sticker chart in a back room and and attendance for adults for adults for adults for adults oh, and attendance goodness. was kept with stickers on this chart to see when you were there, and and again I feel. I I truly believe that these were not these were not lost people. These were mm -hmm. not people that and Larry said that in the sermon. These are not people that have an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. They weren't trying to build a big church. They weren't trying to get more money. None of that. Um, but just so caught up in this rule following that they just couldn't help themselves. Just the silliest of things. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just we're so human. I mean, we're so prone to not want to be judged by other humans. At the time, you didn't even know that about grace in the Christian life, no. right? So you had no. nothing. You had nothing yeah. to fall back on, even or or even to say, like you knew the sticker chart was absolutely ridiculous, but you didn't have anything to. You didn't have any weapons to say, uh, take the sticker chart down. Yeah, please. Yeah. I just, I remember, because I, I didn't, I just, I thought the rule, what they were telling me was, was biblical and right. And, um, 
probably at the time, I probably didn't even know that it was wrong. Like looking back at it. Okay. I can see that it was ridiculous. But probably at the time, I was probably proudful about it. I was probably, well, my 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 sticker charts up there, my stickers are on there more than they're not. Mm. You know, I have less blank spots than other people. So it probably was actually a matter of pride for me. Mm. And it, it that's all the law can do is lead to more death in, in yeah. these behaviors of looking down on people, yep. judging, of not resting. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the faith, and I thought what he said was so good. He said, he said, if we're going to grow and mature, I mean, believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins, it, if that's all you ever do, if that's all your faith ever does for you, then you're not growing. Right. Because, yes, we know Christ died on the, on the cross for our sins. What does that mean for the Christian? And growth is not the stickers chart. Growth is, man, you know, last night I screamed at my husband. What am I going to do with that? Last night, you know, I'm, right. I'm a Christian 40 years. What? And last night I behaved like an, a lost person. Where does that go? Yeah. Oh, I know where that goes. <laughs> that was on Christ when right. he died. And now the res I'm in Christ. I'm in the resurrected yes. Christ. It doesn't mean that we ignore it. It right. means we know what to do with it. Right. And I think before Larry... Before I came to your church, I don't remember, and maybe it was there and I just don't remember, but the whole concept of in Christ, that was just new to me. And I don't know if I was just immature and that was taught and I just didn't hear it, but I I, I certainly never learned it if it was taught. It, it was a lot of, um, if you get to those verses, they would, they would twist them and say, you get there by following the law. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're called to be righteous, we're called to be holy, and we do that by... By following. Mm -hmm. And that's not faith. Right. It just isn't. The stickers tell me, like, that's sight. That's not faith. That's right. the, st I can look at the stickers and say, and judge my Christianity based on those stickers. Right. Where is the faith? Yeah. Instead of, I need to believe I'm in the risen Christ. That's where faith comes in. Um, and it's just terrible that you doubted your salvation because if you weren't taught properly, but I'm, I'm glad in God's providence, he brought you yes. to us. I'm so yeah. glad that Josh and Kirsten <laughs> had a little spark of interest in each other because yes. that's, that was, seems to be the path that brought you to us. Yeah. This, that whole story is so crazy. Like how it came together. And I mean, humanly speaking, I would have never found your tiny little church. Like, we, Oh, we, right. We, we were looking for a church, but it's not like you guys are out there with billboards and no. knocking on doors and putting, you know, postcards in people's mailboxes certainly inviting not. people. So um, it, it certainly was just God bringing me there. Yeah. And then you even participated in Bible studies. Yes. Yeah. Out. Well, we didn't get kicked out. Have... I was never actually kicked out. We were just... Um, Firmly spoken to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have Joy to thank for that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Joy is two for... Joy's got one up on me. So she's been kicked out of two. <laughs> You've been kicked out of one and I've been kicked out of one. But Joy has actually been kicked out of two Bible studies. And I mentioned that, uh, you know, a few podcast episodes ago about an Armenian Bible study. 
But I'll tell you what, they did not like hearing that Christ was the last Old Testament prophet. Those ladies acted like we were saying something not biblical at all. Like we were saying that Christ wasn't God or something like that. It's like, no, you don't understand there, there wasn't any difference in the way that God deals with people. Nothing changed when Christ came. Everything changed at the cross. Yes. His death meant something. His death meant something. It changed everything. It wasn't potentially changing. It wasn't, okay, kind of sort of changed things, and now we're going to work on, you know, just a lot of it was, okay, God, God's, the way I was taught growing up was, okay, God's death changed things, but... Now we're just sort of waiting around till he gets back mm. and then he'll really be in charge. But, yeah. you know, Satan is still in charge of this planet. So was that also part of the reason why you, the good behavior was so important was to guard against Satan? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, then it brings end times. Oh yeah. All that. And I would routinely have nightmares about Christ after and before I was saved, I would have those, those dreams about Christ coming back and being scared and and just I was like well it's because I'm lost of course I would be scared of Christ coming back that's logical right <laughs> but after I was saved for years I would have these nightmares and I don't have nightmares about anything else mm. about Christ coming back and just being petrified mm. like just absolute terror and it was because we were never taught you know, we never were never taught that you're going to reach perfection. It was never taught that you'll lose your salvation. But, you know, what if you're not right with God? Oh, yeah, not right, right. with God. And this, you, you know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to get to heaven and there's going to be this screen with this, your yeah. sins are going to be rolling and you're going to have to give account for every word you said. And, um, and just the thought of that and, and realizing I'm never going to get to heaven. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, God died for me and he paid for my sins. But if I have to give an account for them, not again, goes back to not having that rest yeah. in the completed work of Christ. And re-crucifying Christ all the time. You see, if you would said, you know, a Catholic does that with their communion, mm-hmm. you know, believing it's the actual body of Christ and the people that I went to church with the that would have mortified them. No, we don't do that. But in practice. That is. Yeah, Larry mentioned that too. He mentioned that the infusion that the Catholics have. And then he says, but we're really not much different. The Calvinists, he kind of beat up on the Calvinists quite a bit. Yeah. If John Calvin's writing this, the stuff he was writing, then it's good to call it out and say, no, right. no, that is absolutely not what the Bible teaches, getting better and better. Um, and then I liked the quote from, I think it was Newell, that when when grace never gets its proper bucket and law never gets its proper bucket, they're, they're intermingling law and grace. Like the grace is just that enough to get me to where I can yes. be good. Yes. That's what grace is for, is so that I can be good. Yeah. Nope. That's not what grace is for. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful to you and to Dave for doing all the hard work to get all these edited and into a form where people can hear them and enjoy them because Larry summed up in an hour what I'm always trying that that's exactly what I was taught. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always fumbling around trying to explain to people. Well, I tried to pick, I mean, we were a little bit out of order for the podcast because we're in Romans, but I was trying to find something that would have more to do with a Christian life because yep. I knew that was what your um experience was 
was going to be yeah. more centered on is the Christian life. And I'll tell you something else too, uh, and you probably feel the same way. Let's say our church disintegrated tomorrow. Oh, and Cheryl's shaking her head like, oh, <laughs> no, heavens no. no, no, no. <laughs> you know, and you had to go fit, pick another church, and I had to go pick another church. I would not be looking for a church that was Calvinistic. That would not no. be my top priority. No. It would be, what What are these people telling me about today? Yep. When I yelled at my husband last night, where does that go? No. What are they telling me today? And that's, if they're Calvinists too, hey, right. that's wonderful. Right. Uh, but I'll I'll go to an Armenian church before I'll be put into the law. Yeah. Um, and Andrew Farley is another great, he's a guy that has grace under the, in the Christian life down 100%. Yep. He's an Armenian. Yep. But grace in the Christian life. And I'm, I, that's where I would go. It, it's because, so it goes back to, I think, just by, by nature, we want to follow the rules. And so it's so much easier to fall back on that. The other stuff, the Armenian stuff, I, I can look at that or listen to it and it just sort of, floats over the top of my head mm. i'm like okay you said that it's not true mm -hmm. and it doesn't affect me at all it doesn't bother me i, I literally just stop thinking about it the minute they they stop speaking about it mm -hmm. but the other stuff the rule following that mm -hmm. you should do this you should do that you should not do this you should not do that god is pleased with you when you do this god is displeased with you when you do that it's just it's, it's death yes and it's still what i'm what six or seven years later Mm -hmm. knowing it in my as just in my soul i know in my bones mm -hmm. i know it to be true mm -hmm. but it's so easy when you hear it to just get this little nickel of doubt and think mm -hmm. oh oh maybe i should maybe i should be trying that maybe i should be trying harder mm. yeah that trying harder is pure death yes because you can never try hard enough like, it doesn't matter. No. You can never try hard enough. Yep. And we just, we're so prone to want to measure. I was driving with my daughter. She got her permit. And uh, we, we get done and she's like, out of, out of 10, what was that, mom? What, how, how did I drive yeah. out of 10? And, and when we would homeschool, did your kids ever do this where they would say, well, what's the grade? Oh, yes. And I would say, I don't know. Let me, let me explain to you how to do percentages. And then you can figure out what your grade is. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I, I had one. I won't name names, mm -hmm. but it may have been my daughter who I, I had to stop grading her stuff because that she, like her mother, <laughs> firstborn rule follower. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching her all that because mm -hmm. that's where I was in church. And so it was ingrained in her. So, yeah, I would just I just would stop, stop, stop grading her. I would stop testing her a lot. Mm -hmm. Because it was, it would become, it was so much a part of her life. Yeah, just her her whole day would be affected oh. if she if she didn't get a ninety if she got a ninety eight instead of a hundred. Wow, that was the end of the day for her because uh. she wanted to be perfect. You, you know, this life you got to measure stuff to know if you're any good at it. Of course, we know that, but the Christian life can be different. Yep. it's the wine that you don't have to drink in moderation. It's the ice cream that you don't have to watch how many calories. You can never get enough of it. Yeah. And anyone who wants to say to me, well, you can't give people too much grace. Well, I got a guy who was born in 44 who spent his entire Christian life loving the Lord and in the Word and teaching others about the wonderful truths of the gospel. And he had as much grace as anybody I know. It didn't drive him to a bar. Yeah. 
this stuff does not drive the Christian to uh, immoral, a- immoral acts. No. But, but we could, and it would still wouldn't make any difference. Right. But it, that's not the result. Oh, yeah, and that, that was the discussion that got Joe and I firmly spoken to at the Bible oh. study was, is, it, it, was, it, was two, it was two women that I had grown up with in our former church, and, uh, and, she, and we were talking about grace. And one of them literally shook her finger at Joy and said, if we believe that, then that means that she would be down at the bar tonight drinking and having an affair on your husband. <sighs> And we're just, no, 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 it's the opposite of that. It's the opposite. The, the more you see Christ, it's about seeing him and and less less of me, more of him. Right, because you're free. Yeah. And you're, so you're free to uh, participate in the works of Christ in whatever way you want. Yeah. And, the, and Christ, of course, is directing all of that. And, and Larry talked about the fruit is going to be like after its own kind. So the resurrected Christ... Is going to bear fruit, yeah. Which is the the righteousness. Yes, that's the kind of fruit we're going to have. But the minute we start looking back to to discover it, then we're yeah. right back under the law. Yeah. The what is the scripture about the vine and the branches? And I'm I am the vine, you are the branches. Yes, or? and I'm I'm no more capable. I that's how I buy fruit. That's how I produce fruit. The same way is an apple tree produces apples. It, right. The, the apple doesn't of its own volition right just spring forth it doesn't you know work itself up into an apple right. it's just there it's just in there. the tree and the tree brings it forth right it's a natural progression yeah and it's not going to bring anything else but an apple yep. it's not going to bring out an orange it's going to be what it is yep. thank you so much this is so exciting and and did, was there anything else you wanted to say i don't think so okay yeah Thanks See, for having me. You made it. I survived. You I survived. didn't cry too much. <laughs> well, I, again, I just can't I can't thank you enough, and I can't express enough how grateful I am for you and your family and for your daughter. Um, I will say your daughter takes such good care of my son, and, you know, she's a wonderful mother. She's a wonderful wife, and, and I enjoy seeing her. Ditto about Josh and, and the way he takes care of my, and my, my daughter and grandkids. I was bragging on him last night. He's a, he's a good man. He's yeah. a really good man. <laughs> All right. right. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. 